0: Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which I go more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Kariannis, in which he examines the games, eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or by subscribing via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Jim Egerton is the CEO and founder of Business on the Board and the author of the book of the same name, which is subtitled, How the World's Greatest Game Can Build Better Leaders. A respected teacher, coach, manager, leader, and entrepreneur, his speaking has impacted the lives of thousands. His management, information technology, and training experience come from serving in the healthcare, energy, and finance industries. He does workshops for firms like Amazon, UBS, FedEx, RR Donnelly, and Wrigley, who are all companies that wanted to use a game-based approach to developing the skills their leaders need to be successful. He uses his speaking platform to show people that chess is a powerful tool for developing skills our future leaders will need. He has a degree in mathematics from Northern Illinois University and an MBA degree in finance from Illinois Tech. Welcome to One Move at a Time, Jim Egerton. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Well, it's it's good to have you have you on and you know, let's start at the very beginning uh, with how did you get started in chess? Well, I'll break it up into opening, middle,
1: and end game. Uh, my opening was uh, I had an uncle who lived uh, about five houses down from me, and he knew how to play chess. And he just started showing me some of the moves, and I, I really liked it. And before long, I was beating him. And he was like, "Wow, this this is something." And when I got to high school, the coach of uh, well, the, my English teacher said, "I heard you like to play chess," and I said, "Yeah, yeah, I do." And he said, "Well." If you will uh, run the club, I'll sponsor it. And so he started taking us to USCF tournaments and playing against other high schools and things like that. And in uh, 1971, please don't subtract all those years to give away my age, but in 1971, I played in my very first tournament, high school rated tournament, and I came up with a 1562 rating. And I was hooked because I was the, uh, un- un- what do you call it, the unrated section champion. So uh, I started playing chess. I've never given it up. I love the game. Uh, Played a lot of U.S. Opens. Uh, Started uh, doing some teaching on the side. And then when I started working on my MBA, I said, well, I can't do competitive weekend chess. So I started doing postal chess and uh, really enjoyed that venue, too. And so when my kids got into school, uh, they said, well boy, we like this chess. Can you come to coaching? And so I I did. I started coaching their teams and uh, high school teams and other groups in the area. So chess from 1971 on, I've been very active with. And so uh, I really think it has a lot of benefits for people who know how to play.
0: So the only thing I don't like about that story is your first rating of 1562 is almost exactly where my rating sits right now (laughs) after 30 years of rated chess myself. (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, back in 1971, 1562 was, I don't even know how you could calculate that, because there were only three books uh, out there. There was uh, MCO for the openings, and uh, Ruben Fine had a basic chess endings book, and there were a couple middle games books. But basically, other than that, you were on your own. You didn't have any databases or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, if I had come out with a a thousand, maybe I would be more into uh, another sport or whatever. But 1562 sounded pretty good to me, and I
0: really liked the game. Am I correct that some of your biggest success as a chess player has come as a correspondence player? Um, That would be accurate. When I I started my MBA program, it took
1: me four years. I had two little boys. They were doing soccer, and I had a third one on the way, and I said, I just can't take weekends away and get this all done, so I started to do correspondence chess. So I think it was a Golden Knight section that I played in, and it took me, I think, two to three years to complete all the rated games, and uh, while I was playing, I was able to maintain a masterclass rating in Postal Chess the entire time. And my current rating is 2210. So I'm, I'm really proud of that because it was a different kind of chess, but it was it was deeper. And back in those days, there were no Fritz databases and things like that to, to use. You just had to pretty much look in a book or figure it out. So very proud of uh, using Postal Chess for deeper analysis of the game.
0: And uh, let's talk about how you started? Uh, how you became a chess teacher? Because that'll lead directly into uh, the main reason you're on the show, and and that's your business on the board, um, consulting.
1: Right. I had a, a very uh, well call it a lucrative 24 year corporate career, and I was playing in tournaments uh, while that was going on. And we'd play in the uh, the February team tournaments, things like that, and we played in a Chicago Industrial Chess League. Trying to just keep the business world involved with it, but I was a corporate person. I was in uh, uh, IT. I was in management. I had a lot of opportunities to use some of the skills that uh, I had developed with chess. And but uh, I, uh, at let's see, twenty-four years in, uh, there was an opportunity to uh, to leave a, a major bank, and I took it. And I went ahead and uh, started a company called Chess Now, and it was basically just a pure chess training company so I have been working since 2004 in the formal education of chess in schools in the libraries park districts and also clubs for after schools and things like that and occasionally uh, a business client would come in and see what I was doing and say could would you do this for me and I'm like well yeah of course why not and so I had people like R.R. Donnelly and Wrigley who saw my work with their children say wow, let's do this in the office or go off site and do something. So it was just something I took along along the way. But um, see, in 2016, I decided to rebrand my company from chess now to business on the board, because I saw all these parallels between using chess in terms of business. How can I take a concept in the off the chessboard and implement it uh, in a business or in running a business or working for a business or in investing in a business, all of those kinds of things. So 2014 or 2004, 15 years worth of teaching chess, and now I'm trying to implement it more into the business community.
0: And it- – how is it implemented? I mentioned these companies that you've gone in and done, done seminars for. Is that almost exclusively how you your business manifests itself?
1: Right now, it is. I'm uh, trying. I work with people who have hired me to come into their company and and do a workshop, do a breakout session for Federal Express. It was over two days for our Donnelly. It was a half day for Wrigley. It was a full day. Many of them are just looking for something different, a way to to, do a team experience event. Um, They've done the cooking and the improv, and then some of them, they have play chess, and they know a background in it, and they're like, whoa, yeah, why not? And. One of the challenges is we all have different levels where, you know, like you said, you're 1,500 now, but that's <laughs> still a darn good rating to somebody who has never played a rated game. They don't. So one of the challenges in the business world is showing them how you can use what you're doing when you go back to the office. What skills and things are you talking about? And so in the last one, I just did a, an open enrollment session. Uh, two weeks ago in Chicago, and I had uh, 12 people attend. I had a couple people from McDonald's, a Prudential, a couple of investment firms, and they knew how to play chess from their youth, but they never saw that, whoa, there's a, there's a real good deal here if you want to practice, for example, the skill of delegating. Uh, Inc. published an article recently that said, new managers have a real problem with doing that. And I sat back and said, wait a minute, when, when I got into management, I didn't think it was that much of trouble, but I realized I had been delegating things to my chess pieces for years, and when I had to do it with real people, it wasn't that big of a, a challenge at that point.
0: Well, let's explore this one a little bit more, because I'm, I'm not quite following the, the delegation uh, metaphor. How, wh- what are you delegating on the chessboard, and how are you using that to specifically uh, help a business?
1: Yeah, the the delegating came out on an article that I recently wrote for a marketing magazine. It was one of five skills. But when you're in management, you have to get things done through your people. And when you're playing chess, the only way you're going to do that is delegating things through your pieces. Uh, if your opponent has a pawn rushing up the board to become a queen, you can't just pick that thing up and throw it in the box. It has to be done by one of your employees. So you look around and you go, okay, well, the knight can't get back there, so he's out. Uh, The king is so slow. He's not in the square. And then you look and say, well, the bishop can get across that diagonal and stop that pawn. So you look at a situation, you figure out who on your team is the best person to do it, and then you give them the task and you hope that you gave them, you know, a task that they can accomplish. So uh, very, very common when in Chesta almost every move, you're delegating somebody on your team to do something, to, to guard the king, to attack the queen, to cover a square, to overprotect a piece, all those kinds of things. And when you look in the workforce, in, for example, my uh, high watermark in business was I had 14 employees reporting to me and I had to maintain 30 plus systems for the company. And I'm figuring out how in the world is this going to work? And so I went back to a chess principle called overprotection, where it was a lead and a backup. So I had somebody who was the lead person on that system, but I had somebody right behind him that could take over in an emergency or on a vacation or something like that. Where And they were working together as teammates to like build each other up to understand what's going on. So... There's other skills like uh, managing risk, uh, looking at how to make a profit uh, in a game of chess. And in business, it's the same thing. I'm trying to take a valuable piece of yours and give you something less back for that piece. Like uh, I give you a bishop, but I took your rook. I mean, that, that could be a winning move in a chess game. Well, that could be the same thing a company's trying to do with their cell phone and the money they charge you for it. They're trying to make a profit.
0: Now, you've already said that, uh, obviously, Wade, you have a class, a business class. There's uh, players of of different abilities in it. Uh, Is there any actual chess instruction going on in these seminars?
1: Oh, you bet. You bet. My workbook is loaded with chess diagrams. And what I tell the people is, rather than give you a a 10-page business case that you have to go off and read... Uh, I'll just give them a chess diagram, and if they understand chess, even a little bit of it, I'll say, what's going on here? And in my seminar in Chicago, I did something very simple. I just advanced both of the king pawns, uh, E4, E5, and then I brought my knight out to F3, and I said, okay, you've got a decision to make here. You have to delegate somebody to guard your king pawn, your E5 pawn. And I said, there's seven ways to do it. Here's a little case Take it, figure out what are the seven ways that thing can be guarded, and let's do a SWAT or a strength and weakness of each of those moves and figure out which one is the best that you should play in this position. And they went off for like 10, 15 minutes, and then we came back together, and sure enough, they found that knight to C6 is the only thing to play in that position when your king pawn's attacked. So a lot of chess going on. Examples of uh, we played over the Magnus Carlsen and uh, uh, Bill Gates game on the video and it was a little nine-move game, but we got into the heavy thinking of what was going on there. They, they really liked that. There's a lot to be said for that.
0: Now, I, I imagine the way this typically works is someone in upper management decides this is a good idea and then decides which uh, staff members are going, going to attend. I, I imagine there, there's often you have to overcome some skepticism among some people that have uh, been compelled to attend this. Uh, Is is that the case?
1: Almost universally, yes. There's a wide variety. In every session that I've done, there's always somebody in the back who's like, why do I have to be here? And what are we doing this for? And at the uh, Donnelly thing, we happened to be off-site at Medina Country Club, and there was a lawyer in this group of six people who was constantly checking back in the day his pager. And I thought, this guy is only here because his boss is telling him, you have to be there. Well, I got to work the next morning. I, I got a message from Tom. Was his name? He said, Jim, I attended your session yesterday. I was so thrilled with what you did. I went into the general counsel, and I told her I know exactly what we're going to do on our next corporate off-site meeting. Thank you very much for everything you did. And I was just like, whoa, that guy should be a poker player because I had no idea he was soaking in what, he, what I was selling him. And it's a lot of times people... Uh, don't admit something they do know or don't know and they're apprehensive and what I try to do is just relax and say we're all at a different position in our, our chess career which is one thing that helps but also the business so when I mentioned to somebody uh, a, a chess a sacrifice is like an investment in business you, you give up a, a three dollar bishop you only get a one dollar pawn but your opponent's king is exposed and you have to look into the future and say is, is this really worth doing? Like, do I see enough return on and making this kind of an investment? So I might pop up the term like ROI. What's the ROI on that sacrifice? So if somebody doesn't know a little bit about business, they might be like, whoa, I don't know what you're talking about. So it has to be inclusive and you have to go slow. But uh, people generally really like when they're done and I hear what they liked about the, the sessions and the seminars. I'm like, we're onto something here. I know this is a good way to use people in a game-based way. It's a fun, it's, you know, it's something that, you know, it's not a big obligation. You just play and What's fun is to watch them and then correct their thinking as they're going along. A lot of it is emotional type of decisions that they make about what they're doing at the board.
0: and it might reflect how they work in in the workforce too. And thinking about the various uh, types of, of of chess concepts that are translatable, such as strategic thinking and calculation and tactical awareness, is there a one concept that invariably just really captures? the imagination of your seminar participants. Uh, if I had to guess, I would guess that it would be strategic thinking because that's such a base component of both chess and business.
1: Yeah, that, that is the number one, Dan. You, uh, obviously, you play chess and you've been in business because people <laughs> will come up and they'll go, oh, chess is such a strategic game. And I was like, um, yeah, I agree with you, but all your strategy can go out the window if there is a tactic in the position and you don't see it i mean your game can just completely change on a move so that's why you need to build up skills like seeing into the future visualizing where this piece isn't here anymore it's over there so what's the threat oh like oh and uh when they hear the word tactic come out they're like whoa i I don't know what you mean but you show them a little thing like a pin or uh, a fork or something's doubly attacked and i said after that move is played you probably have a one game it's like your opponent cannot come back from the loss of material they're going to have. And when I bring up other things like making a profit, most people realize that is very important in business. You, you've got to make that profit. And when you're playing chess, that's really what you're trying to do is is make a profit during the game because both of us know most games at the end are won by people who have more material and i would call that they have more money they're exchanging value of pieces but um sure there's a queen sacrifice that is a checkmate in two moves but that's pretty rare it's the person with the extra piece at the end that's going to come out ahead because they uh, they just know how to play
0: that out i kind of smiled to myself when i saw that uh one of the companies you had worked with was amazon because uh, I, I suspect overloading was was the concept most uh, attractive to them. <laughs>
1: that is funny because I did jump into tactics right away with them. And a lot of them were working on their PCs while I was uh, doing my presentation. And I'd say, here's a, a tactic called a skewer. And they look up on the board and they go, "pop yep, I've seen that when they go right back to work. And a skewer in chess, we know, is like when your king is under an attack, he has to get away from the attack. And then maybe the piece behind him, goes away or the queen's attack she moves away it's where somebody up front doesn't take the responsibility or they can't and the consequence is the piece behind them goes away when i changed over to the business side i said this tactic is pretty popular in business there are a lot of ceos that could be taking some heat and they just say uh well i'm not gonna take the fall for this and they look over their shoulder or they look behind them and go well this person didn't tell me what's going on and so therefore if he had told me or she had told me i would have fixed the problem right away so what happens is that person usually goes lost behind them and then kind of miraculously the problem goes away because somebody had to take the responsibility and we're seeing it right now here with a Chicago company called Boeing where their CEO is taking a lot of heat for what has happened below him in engineering or in operations or in different areas and there are a lot of people calling for his resignation. And He's saying, no, I want to ride this out. I, I think my advantage here is to stay and to see. These problems, but a lot of companies, a lot of companies will just say, "Oh, the CEO, you're out of here, you're gone," and. Uh you know, then the next guy can say, well, that was the CEO. So the skewer is in play. Uh, oh, the overworked piece. Oh man, that, that happens all the time in business where something doesn't get done because somebody was doing too many other things and, you know, the consequences are paid. So tactics are very powerful. Amazon, uh, that, that was quite an interesting assignment. They only let people who have published a book i come and speak to their employees. So that was kind of my in there that I had seen it. And they're very active up in the Northwest in chess. There's a lot of uh, engineers and things that they love the game and they uh,
0: compete with uh, other companies, in fact. So that that's fun. Kind of picking up a little bit about what you're just talking about, uh, as I was going through the videos that you have on your website, uh, one one statement you made really resonated with me, and that was, If you can't make 16 pieces of plastic work together, how are you ever going to do it with real people?
1: (laughs) That is a, one of my many taglines. It resonates with some people because they're like, I don't get it. What, what are you talking about? Where other people of, yeah, you're in charge. I mean, everything comes to you. And I, I use a corporate org chart when I start my business training. And that org chart could be live for a company. It could be live for a student who is studying all the courses that make up that org chart. But it also comes into play in chess where your employees are your pieces And your strategies and tactics have to come from you. Uh, Operationally, you can look and see, uh, are my pieces where I want them to be? If they're not, uh, companies reorganize. Uh, And that's what a grandmaster, or not even a grandmaster, but a strong chess player would go, I got my people in the wrong places. You need to get over here. You need to get over here. And sometimes the company has a layoff to make room for the new pieces to come in where they need to be. And uh, I've seen case studies here in Chicago where companies lay off people, and they say, well, why did you do that? And they say, well, we want to make sure we have the right employees in the right position. And I'm thinking, man, that's exactly what a chess player is trying to do when they're maneuvering, getting somebody into a better position than they are right at the current moment.
0: Business is not the only place where you've merged chess and another. Uh, activity. You've also merged chess with tennis instruction. Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I love, I love both those games because one is actually physical, but the mental side of it. And as you know, we have played chess or tennis together during some of the U.S. Opens. There's so many common strategies like. Uh, In tennis, you try to dominate the center of the court because if you have to have your opponent hit around you, their ball may go wide and you win the point because you were there in the middle. Uh, You can use combinations in chess where you you decoy a piece to a square and then boom, you can come in. Uh, A classic combination in tennis is what we call a drop shot where you lure your opponent into the net, they get there, and if they get the ball back, then you just lob it over their head because all those squares, all those spaces, all that court is wide open. So I love to use the mental side of chess, and a lot of a lot of people do play uh, chess. I noticed uh, there was a video I watched that Magnus and uh, Fabio, they play an hour of tennis every day when they're getting prepared for a tournament, and I'm thinking, wow, those guys haven't figured out that there's parallels between this game and another game and the only difference is in tennis you have to execute if you don't hit the drop shot and it goes into the net well you lost the point it doesn't matter what happens after that Whereas in chess you're pretty sure you're going to move that piece to the square you want it but uh, yeah i'm a certified teaching tennis professional and i'd love to see the mental side of the game being used in tennis so how people react to uh For example, a strategy in chess might be, you know, play for the center of the board. In tennis, cover the center of the court. Well, sometimes a tactic occurs in tennis where the ball hits the top of the net in an exchange. And the player's like, whoa, what do I do now? And so they commonly come running up to the net, and if they get a chance, they put the ball away. And so neither player really knew that ball was going to hit the net but here came an opportunity and the same thing in chess where you had no idea your opponent was going to make that move. But when you look at it, you go, whoa, I don't think that's so good because I have this, that. And then when you put tactics together in combinations in tennis or in chess, you probably got something winning
0: going on for you. It really is remarkable how many top players uh you do use tennis in their downtime as, and as part of their training. Uh, you know, even going further back, I, I know Fisher and Karpov were both active tennis players. Mm-hmm. I remember
1: seeing Bobby Fisher with a racket in his hand and uh, Boris Spassky, too, was playing. And I think it's just you have to react to what your opponent is doing. I know Agassi said it's a, like a zero-sum game. When when I'm getting ahead on the point, when I'm running you all over the court, I have what we would call in chess the initiative. You know, I'm making moves that you need to respond and defend to. And if you don't put up the good defense, boom, I'm probably going to win that point. And if it's match point, guess what? I win the match.
0: You only recently rebranded the company to uh, call it Business on the Board. Uh, what's The future look like for this company for you
1: it's wide open dan right now what i'm doing is just trying to get people to recognize that there are dots in the chess column that could be in the business column and vice versa Um, i noticed that in uh, new york they're starting their corporate league again and these very very strong players are all using this chess knowledge they have but i think if you ask them on the side I think they could tell you ways that their chess knowledge is helping them in their career or in their business in terms of, if they're in finance, how to look at a situation and determine right away, uh, should I trade that position or hold off? That doesn't look like a trade that I want to do, so uh, it's it's kind of a, it is not an easy market because people who love chess want to just play chess for chess, and I, I'm, I totally agree with that. I, I used to do that myself. But when they get back to the office, there has to be kind of an, an ROI. What, what did you guys learn there? And if they can go back in the office and say, well, I, I learned the, how to practice five new skills. Because what chess allows you to do, it, it gives you a place to practice. You can practice your thinking. You can practice your visualization of, okay, are you seeing what you need to see in the situation? Are you removing the right piece? Are you letting the right people go in business? And the big thing there is, are you making a profit? Is your company getting ahead by making money off of the products they're selling? Are your moves generating potentially a profit where you can pick off a pawn or win the exchange or, or you know, take a piece for nothing because the thing is trapped? All those kinds of things. So uh, it's, it's not easy. As far as I know, there's a, a company in Italy doing something similar. Um, There are people, I believe, in London that are kind of considering, but combining um, business development, I call it talent development, using the game of chess, um, people open their eyes and they go, wow, I never thought of that. But it's it's not easy because a lot of people see chess as a competitive tool and they don't like losing. So they're like, oh no, I'm no good at chess, forget that. And it's like, no, I just use it as a tool to help you improve your thinking. So we could go plug these moves into a computer, you can consult with me, but at some point you're going to make a decision that it wasn't the best one, and if you can learn from that and go not into your next chess game, but learn in your career that, whoa, this wasn't a good move, how can I make it better next time, or how can I correct the move that I made? So uh, it's 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 challenging. Um Big companies have their own training departments, and so they really don't bring in outside people, and small companies
0: don't have the budget. So
1: it's like finding your target market is somebody who loves to play chess. And says, yeah, this, this is something I want my reports to learn about.
0: And to your last uh, point, you know, th- that's one of the reasons why Amazon just jumped out at me. I, I had no idea that they would bring in outside consultants for uh, this kind of training.
1: It was uh, done through just connections on LinkedIn and people who had, had seen the work and I connected with them. And I knew they had an active chess club in their company. And the people there were very receptive to having me come out and talk to them. And uh, I, I sold a lot of books when that happened. And there's also chess clubs out there. And I know the Pacific Northwest is very big on chess. There's a lot of engineering and things going on out there that people want critical thinking skills in their employees. And so uh, anybody up in that area, is uh, there's, there's a lot of chess going on in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. so. Yeah, Amazon was, uh, it was it was different because these guys all, they didn't come in saying, you know, I have to hop how to play chess. But after we were done with the seminar, then we went to chess club right afterwards and <laughs> we were watching, you know, what people were doing. And people were like, come on, I want to play you. And I'm like, no, I'm totally exhausted. I just spent you know, an hour teaching and no, but we did play some fun games and there's, uh, there's some really strong players out there giving private lessons and there are people in business who really do like the game and some of them like i think to keep it a little quiet you know that they use chess as a and a little to their advantage but they're not waiting to let people know that yeah i i play chess at a master level
0: but you know that's why i'm a billionaire but you know maybe it is maybe it isn't and that actually raises another question when you said that people sometimes keep it quiet uh when you are dealing with beginning level players, especially, is there still an idea out there that you have to be some kind of genius to be good at chess?
1: Um, I I would think if someone has a a position in business, they probably have a degree in, in something that is aligned to business, or they're starting a business, or they're an entrepreneur. I think by the time they get out of school, they realize that Maybe it was a mistake just, just dropping off. I, I mean, chess, I think you know from your membership, it's very popular in the elementaries. And then after that, it, it kind of trails down. I'm not sure exactly how many adult members there are in the Chess Federation, but uh, maybe it's they just don't play tournament chess, but the stuff they learned is still up there. Those strategies and tactics and things that they can go back to and say, okay, what did I do here? This is what's going to happen. And it just... Um, you know, I think people want ways to get in, and if their companies encourage them to do this and they saw the benefits because company want to know, what's the return on this? I, I, I don't want people just playing chess, but when you explain it, well, they're, they're learning how to delegate. They're learning how to evaluate, eliminate, uh, manage risk, and make a profit. They're like, whoa, those are the kinds of terms business people could understand, and if you can get in front of those people and say – what are you doing right now to build your leaders and well, we do you know 360 evaluations and we do uh, role modeling and, and cases and things like that it's like well how would you like something that is is played all over the world everybody understands this game and they might not even speak the common language but they can sit down and they can try to accomplish something where right across the board is your competitor and you'll find out pretty soon if you're if you're doing a good name but No, I think it's a little misnomer. I think there are a lot of young kids that pick up the game and, uh, you know, they just don't see any purpose to it beyond, you know, say middle school where I teach also where there's a lot of other activities that they get involved, sports and and music and all these other things. And chess can kind of sit down and, and take a back seat, but not if they see the benefit of building skills that last a lifetime.
0: And just to, to fill in the blanks with something you you, you mentioned at the beginning of your answer, uh, we're currently at almost ninety five thousand members in U.S. Chess, and of that, it's about roughly fifty percent play at least one rated game in any given year.
1: Oh, okay. Do you do you have that demographic? The age? Um, do you do you know like there's been diagrams that kind of say. Is it not as popular in high school as it is in?
0: The- well, right, right. So we we go way up in the elementary uh, years, and then it starts this uh, decline in the high school years, and then just drops at at college age and into the twenties, and then the line starts going back up again in the thirties. And okay, the the general feeling is people, you know, have have kind of started settling their life, their career, and they have time uh, and bandwidth to, to bring chess into their life again.
1: Chess.com, all those guys. And they also might have children who they want to share their knowledge with and, and start coaching like I did. Because I probably would have ripped it away, but my son's got me back into the game and my son is an A player and we still love playing blitz chess against each other. My wife can't can't stand being in the room when we're doing it, but she'll come in and go, uh-oh, dear, you're losing, aren't you? And I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> my son will run in. I beat Dad three games in a row, and I'm like, you know, this, this, and it's, it's fun. I always wanted to have a son who I could play competitive chess with, and God gave me one, so I really do appreciate that, and
0: uh, enjoy it. Well, that, that leads right into a question I've been asking all my guests this year in this 80th anniversary year of our organization, and that is, what has U.S. just meant to you? It has been a, a sounding board.
1: It has been a place where I can get engaged. For several years, I was a delegate from Illinois representing uh, our state and in, in, in some of the years that were kind of nasty with things that were going on. Uh, I always... Uh, looked at their credibility for merchandise and things like that. I know that a lot of people are out there, but I just recently for this workshop had to order 10 chess sets. And I said, where am I going to go? And I just went online, boom, within a couple of days, the chess sets were in my door. So it's, uh, it's uh, what I really like about the Federation now is I'm seeing an expanse of just, Beyond the chess for chess, I'm seeing it in the mission statement that it's good for education, it's good for athletics, it's good for business people. It's just showing people the benefits of the game will just explode it with an exponent, in my opinion, because people enjoy it if they've played it and they've had a little success. They'll be glad to sit down and, and, and play. And and when I do, sometimes is when I get a winning position against a beginner, and they're like, "Oh, okay." And I'll turn the board around, and I'll just say, "Okay, I, I know I can win this game. Can you do it?" And man, their eyes just open up, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah. Let me see. How do I do this?" And so it's uh, the chess federation is is really got so many things going for it. I think if they just kind of look in, for example, when I was at Oberlin College, I spoke to the business club and the chess club and one of the people in chess said what did you talk to the business people about i said that the business people should get over here at the chess club and the chess club should get over there to the business club and start talking to each other because you guys are doing the same things on a different platform and that's that's really the big difference and uh, i go to schools and i say if you're in business Uh, you really should know how to play chess. Maybe not actively, but just know how to develop strategy. Is there a tactic? How do I keep this profit I've got going by extending, you know, trading pieces and getting into an end game, and then i got to know how to finish that game off. So uh, Chess Federation, I'm a life member. Back in 1971, I started paying $20 a year, and I did it for 10 years, and now you can't get rid of me. I'm a life member.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're, you're one of those people that are dragging down our finances, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I try to build it up any way I can because I think uh, there's a lot of uh, kids now teaching chess in, in the Chicago area, high school kids. It's a lot of competition. And I always look back and say, well, that's that's not good. And then I said, yes, it is good because the more kids who learn to play, they'll need more instruction, they'll need more equipment. And uh, Illinois has one of the largest high school chess tournaments every year uh run by our uh, this association for athletics (IHSA), say but it's pretty well kept secret of how many it's it's close to a thousand kids that go to a major convention center every year and they compete for um the state championship in a high school team format so it's very popular you can get a varsity letter here using uh chess and and so i just uh, talk about the benefits because they they really are i don't I don't see any negativity to it at all. I don't, I don't think people who, oh, I don't want my kid to grow up like that. I'm like, mm, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about because you want your kid to be smart. You want them to be able to make good, educated decisions as they go through life. And boy, this game just gives you a place to practice all that and really feel confident
0: about what you're doing. So before I let you go, let our listeners know what your website address is and the best way to contact you.
1: Yeah, my website is just like the name of my book. Uh, it's www.businessontheboard, one whole word.com. Uh, there's a, it's a website there. I'm pretty active in LinkedIn. If people want to look me up there, I'd be glad to connect uh, and, and start a dialogue that way. And uh, is, I've got an 800 number if somebody wants to call and, and talk about the possibilities. I'm, I'm looking for anybody that would like to just ex, uh, investigate. The possibility of using chess as a way, as a tool to improve the leaders in your company. I really believe it helped me in my past. I can show people how it helped me get ahead. And I think there are a lot of people in the world who would say, yeah, these are the kinds of people that we want in our
0: organization. And uh, how can we get them? If we don't have them, how can we grow them? And that's where I think I can help. Well, Jim, congratulations on uh, having so much success on really using what is our mission statement to expand chess to a whole new area of of people that probably had not been thinking about chess uh, as part of their lives before, but now do. Uh, It was fascinating hearing about that. And thank you for joining us on One Move at a Time. Thank you, Dan. Pleasure talking to you always. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. you for listening to one move at a time our theme music was composed by alex king a national master who lives in memphis tennessee us chess is a 501c3 nonprofit with an educational mission you can find more information about us at uschess.org where you can become a member by clicking on the join button and you can donate to our cause by clicking on the donate button i hope that you have learned something new about how to build chess within your community join us next month for another chess world personality and more good ideas